Hello lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Sports Podcast Network, and we are doing something a little bit different this week. Um, uh, not necessarily in celebration of a 50th episode, although, hello, episode 50, just super wild that we got to this number. Um, I know I did an episode a while back for episode 20, like looking back and being like, oh, this is great, but 50, another nice round number, but one that comes with a bit more oomph to it, I would say. And what better way to do a 50th episode than to uh, cover <laughs> All Elite Wrestling's All Out uh, 2020, the second edition of the show that happened this past weekend. Um, we're going to be doing that today. Uh, we're going to be joined here shortly by uh, Fan Fights, uh, Colette Aaron, uh, to run through that show. Haven't had a chance to talk to Colette in a while, um, so very excited to see what she thought of this show and have a nice, good discussion about a, a event that was... Um, Memorable for partially the wrong reasons, uh, uh, but also had some stellar action on the card as well. Uh, but that's not all that we're doing this week, no. Um, it's kind of an unofficial 50th episode celebration here. We are giving you a double dose, a double header of LGBT in the ring this week, starting today with AEW All Out 2020, and then continuing tomorrow with episode 51 of the show, when I will be joined by the Grit and Glitter podcast's Emily Fear to discuss MB Young's Polycult Party 2 live from Pittsburgh this past weekend, the same day as AEW All Out. Um, Emily was in at the show live um, and took it all in, and I am very excited to get a uh, eyewitness account of that event that was just um, ridiculous and pansexual as pansexual can get. I mean, literally the entire, like, venue, I guess if you want, you can, you can call the backyard a venue. It was a venue. The entire venue just decked out in pansexual colors. But more on that show tomorrow. So be sure to come back tomorrow, our regular day, Thursday, to hear that one. But for today, we are going to get into uh, some All Elite Wrestling with Colette Aaron. Check it out. All right, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I am very pleased to be uh, joined by uh, Fan Bites, or I guess, I don't know, how do y'all refer to, to yourself within the greater Fan Bite world? Is it Fan Bite or Fan Fight? Uh, I think that uh, LB and I, and like Emily and others, uh, like I think that the people on staff refer to it as Fan Fight, but it's it's pretty interchangeable. Okay, well, fanbite slash fanfight. Uh, Colette Aaron is back on the show to discuss All Elite Wrestling's second ever uh, edition of All Out from this past weekend. How are you doing, uh, Colette? I'm doing well. How are you? I am. I am surviving. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm. I. I will say this. Um, we made it through this show. <laughs> yes, we did. Um, <laughs> so did everyone. That was, you know, good for everyone. Exactly. That's a good. I mean, that's a good starting point. I mean, if you made it through the show, um, the like, I don't want to say like drudge that it was per se, because like 
it didn't feel as slow as some other shows have, but definitely noticeable in length. What shows didn't it feel as slow as? Like a modern WrestleMania? I mean, it was pretty slow. I would, I would, I would say, yeah. I, the, I, I look at last year's WrestleMania, or even WrestleMania 32, as being like slower, like feeling like I'm walking through molasses even more so than the show was. But those yeah. shows were also like six hours long, right? And this one was, I mean, it was a a very long three hours and forty eight minutes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like it, I mean, it was a long show to begin with, like in terms of its actual length. And then it felt longer for a couple of reasons. I mean, it's, it's one of those weird things where like, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about this when we're breaking it down, but um, a lot of the matches on the card seem like they were on the card as like almost payday matches more than anything. Like that thing, like usually you see that again on like a WrestleMania style card where it's like, all right, we have a the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royale, like, and that gets thirty two people a paycheck or whatever. And I that's that's kind of how I felt in like watching you know some of the undercard matches, including the Casino Battle Royale. But like you know the um, the eight man tag and like Jurassic Express and the Young Bucks and like that those those kind of things were like dynamite mid card matches that were put on the pay per view, like to space out the main events in a way that didn't really work uh in my opinion i mean you talk about like spacing out the main events they they still save like the three main events for, for back to back to back at the end of the show so right if, if they didn't <laughs> even really use those to to do that if that was the no. the purpose so i don't know i'm i'm with i'm with you to an extent like i think i i i look at the eight man tag as as one of the matches that really felt like it was more of a dynamite style match but you know that match was basically a means to an end to get dustin to do his promo and to announce the tnt title shot for the for this week so it served its purpose i don't know if you needed a 15 minute match to do that that's the thing Yeah, yeah no like it's it's one of those things where like similarly like that match definitely like all right everyone needs to get their stuff in no they don't like no they don't you don't need to get all your stuff in all the time. Like that's, that was my main issue with uh, Jurassic Express and the Young Bucks. It's like, y'all don't have to do everything every time you go out there. Like you have an extensive like move set. You can pull some of it out, like some of the time, but you don't need to do all of it. Like it's, it just, it felt like, you remember that episode of Dynamite like a couple of weeks ago where like the MJF, john moxley like confrontation angle took way longer than it should have and mm-hmm. like the the matt hardy sammy guevara uh match got like severely shortened and took place over commercial break for the most part yeah yeah that that was this show but without a time limit mm-hmm. like so they just kept going like it, it felt like everything was just like you know sometimes one or two minutes too long sometimes five or ten minutes too long um that's a problem. Like that was that was a real problem. Um 
but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, like, well, there are plenty of matches with, that that applies to that we'll get to as we work through this. Yeah. Um, and I commend you because you're you're coming on to this right after finishing like the the main event with Mox and MJF. Yeah. So I, I commend it you on two days. So. <laughs> You know what? That's probably the better way to do it instead of just yeah. like with me sitting on my couch for five hours because I watched the buy-in also. Oh, and man. yeah, yeah. Um, which, by the way, I don't think we're going to cover the buy-in here. Um, didn't really miss much uh, outside of a, an an overall okay private party dark order tag team match and uh, the chance to see uh, Doctor Luther and Sunny Kiss mix it up on the outside while Serpentico <laughs> decided whether he wanted to jump off the top rope or not. Um, yeah. yeah, so all in Sunny all, that Kiss versus stuff. Serpentico, the, you know, that being a main event in any arena. <laughs> <laughs> I Real quick tangent. I love that they've made Serpentico and Dr. Luther into a tag team that is almost exclusively on AEW Dark. And yeah. it, like, it feels like the oddest, not necessarily in terms of like who's within us, this small little team here, but the fact that they would even make them a team and give them a team name. Oh, they it's have just, a team name? Oh, yeah. they're. Uh, I believe they're called the Chaos Project. Huh. Yeah. Don't know how huh. that hits you, but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it did. I don't know how it hits me either. Yeah. It just, well, it there just you did. Go. <laughs> I'll leave you to digest that as we move into AEW All Out Proper, which opens up with a, show, with a match that was originally meant for the pre-show, but was moved to the main card um, after... Um, a lot, some criticism online of them putting a women's match on the pre-show as opposed to the main card, uh, or at least a lot of people are pointing to that online criticism as the reason why it was moved. Um, Britt Baker uh, versus Big Swole in a tooth and nail match. Um, AEW's latest uh, attempt at a cinematic match. Uh, where these two fought in what was claimed to be Dr. Brick Baker's uh, dentist uh, dental uh, practice. Uh, I am I am very curious to get your take because this this was an interesting <laughs> little ten minutes that we had here. Yeah, yeah, it was um, something like that. I've kind of noticed about AEW's weird booking is that like they tend to do stuff like this when a a regular singles match would probably benefit like the person who wins more like you know this was a match that 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 big swole like had to win but like i don't know they they decided to go with with like this um and it felt like um not to not to make more comparisons to the past, but like it, it felt like watching uh somebody play a game of WCW backstage assault oh. um, for the Nintendo sixty four. Uh and if anyone has ever played that game, that's not really a compliment. Um because it's a it's a bad video game. It's a it's terrible like maybe, video game. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the worst wrestling video games. Like I get what they were going for um but you know this match should have been like you know fought legitimately tooth and nail uh but instead was like kind of this weird hybrid between like you know a a 
early 2000s WWF hardcore title match and a comedy match that just happened to take place in a dentist office. Uh, like early on, they were doing a thing where like Britt Baker was this like movie monster with a mask on and like was like creeping around in the corner and Big Swole opened the cabinet and there was a bunch of chattering teeth. And it's like, what? Like, what are you what are you trying to do here? <laughs> um <laughs> You know, and like there was, there, there were, yeah, that was the teeth. Like that was the tooth. There were no nails. Um, there like, was a power know, drill. Just, there was a power drill, but that's a screw. Uh, True. And she didn't have a screw. She was just trying to go in. Yeah, that was like the thing. Like all of the stuff that they could have done in the dentist office, and like they barely did. Like they did it, but like to like the bare minimum. Like they had the water gun, they had the the laughing gas, they had a power drill instead of like, frankly, more horrifying dentist drill. Like the dentist drill makes like a terrifying noise. They should have gone with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like what? Like what did you, what did you think about it? Because I was like, you know, this is this is the end of the big swole Britt Baker feud. Like there's you can't go any further than this, I guess. Um, and like i don't think that it did anything for either woman or all three women if you want to like also kind of throw rebel into the mix on this like did this do anything for you um i'm of two minds with this match uh, if you like for me taking the match just in and of itself outside of the the feud uh the big swole brit baker uh program that we've been seeing over the past few months the match itself it had, it did go over the top in the goofiness, um, but sometimes that works for me if it's the right kind of goofy. And um, the right kind of goofy for me is having Britt Baker uh, shot in the leg with Novocaine and having to drag her leg around for the last third of the match. That worked for me, like in terms of like just different, like playing around with stuff. You definitely could have gone farther, like you're saying. Um, play around with the environment and what it actually brings. I'm surprised no one actually brought out the the dental drill um, because, like you, fucking terrifying. <laughs> um, but whenever you put this match in the context of what they've been trying to do with Swole and Baker, it it doesn't work for a blow off. And I know there's been some reports out there that you know Britt just wasn't ready to go in the ring. And that this match was a little bit of smoke and mirrors to to get this onto the card, um, but yet keep protect her a bit. Um, and in that instance, I guess like this is what you could have done to blow that off. But I, I don't understand why you don't just maybe save that blow off for a dynamite at this point. If this if this is what you have to do to take something that actually had some steam behind it for a while, um it just didn't feel like the blow off to what they've been building with it. And I would have much rather seen them like wait until Brett's leg is fully healed and put them in the ring. Like you're saying, give them like 10 to 12 minutes on a dynamite and down maybe like a month or two down the line and just let this, let, let it play out that way. It would have done a whole lot more for swole coming out of this. I I would say. I feel like uh, they, really kind of missed an opportunity with swole in the the women's tag team tournament which like hasn't really affected AEW since it happened um like people were really really into the big swole Nicole Savoy team uh and like they should have just 
booked it so that they won. Like that's that's how that should have happened. And then like that would have like honestly, I think that that would have made Swole in a way that like this match couldn't have. Like I don't know the the weird thing about cinematic matches is that, and I don't even think it's weird. Like it works sometimes, but part of it is that the talent has to be established as like an actual superstar. Like you look at the ones from this year that are like the most critically acclaimed and you're looking at Undertaker versus AJ Styles, John Cena versus Bray Wyatt and the stadium stampede match from, um, from the last AEW pay-per-view. And those are all like high concept matches featuring the biggest stars in the company and because you know who those people are, there's no, like, you just go along with it. Like, you don't really question, like, the setup. The camera trickery is fine. The fact that they score it sometimes is okay. Like, you, you're just going along for the ride because you're familiar with those characters. They haven't done a very good job of establishing Big Swole since she came in to AEW. I think she's a fantastic wrestler. I think that her personality is is incredible. Like she's a very infectious presence. And at some point, like when they decide that it's actually time to focus on developing the women's roster, I think she'll wind up being one of the biggest stars in it. But like wh- this this didn't do it. Like it just didn't do it because the focus was more on the gimmick and because the gimmick is so limited by its location, like it just, it felt like the bare minimum uh, when, when more was necessary to get both women over really. Cause like Brit's heel run uh, has mostly happened while she's been out with an injury. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I was, I was pretty extremely disappointed with this, um, but not, not because of the work that went into it. Uh, more more had to do with the booking of the match. Yeah, and I, and I will say this. The match placement was also a detriment, I think, to this. I, I don't think that this should have opened the pay-per-view, personally. Yeah. Like, it's it's just odd whenever you start a pay-per-view and then you go to a match that's not a in remote the location. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, welcome, everyone, to AEW's All Out, emanating live. From a dentist office in the suburbs. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great choice. Yeah, like if, like if you had taken this and maybe put this in between, say, like, well, I don't know, not in between the tag team match and the mimosa match, because then you're putting Goofy on Goofy. Yeah. In some ways, like if if you had just put this later on in the show, I think it would have come off a lot better than it did. I think so too. Yeah, but... I mean, honestly, like. You know, if they there's there's no insult in being the opener. And I think that like for the for the narrative flow of the show, like, you know, they would have established a different tone for it entirely had they started with like maybe, you know, Hikaru Shida versus Thunder Rosa, um, which, you know, was a was a good wrestling match that would have established like an entirely different feeling for what the show was. But instead, you make the crowd sit there and watch a screen for 10 minutes. Um, you create a disconnect between the at-home viewing audience and, and everyone else. And I don't know, it was just an awkward way to start a show, as you said. Yeah, it definitely was. 
And then, of course, that led us into the first match in the ring, uh, the Jurassic Express, Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy against the Young Bucks. Um, and what I guess is the next chapter in a potential Young Bucks heel turn. I don't know. Like they, they, They've been working ever since the whole... I don't know. The storyline with the elite is like it's in many ways it feels streamlined, but in other ways it feels like it's branching off in all these different places that are kind of amorphous to me. But um, putting that aside, like I this match, like I don't know, it it was I liked it a lot. Um, Like you said before, though, you don't have to get everything in in one match. I, I do think that some of that did play into them trying to like elevate jungle boy yet again, by um, having him kick out of so many different things and so many near falls before he ultimately is pinned. Um, but God, though, the stuff that he was kicking out of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like, let's just, uh, let's just, kill a couple finishes <laughs> like yeah i mean he was completely alone and was just like eating finisher after finisher after finisher and it was like all right <laughs> like okay um and i yeah like yeah you do want to build up jungle boy he's going to be a big star uh or at least you know you hope he's going to be you never can tell uh in wrestling with like people this early uh like he's young he's not exactly on like mjf's level yet but like he is going to be the big breakout star of this tag team it's it's a matter of time really um but yeah like i don't know i can't really remember there being a a storyline reason for this match to occur like to occur um like i maybe missed it and the like because i don't i don't watch being the elite um but yeah, like you're right. Like it's it's one of those things where where they they keep teasing that something is going to happen with the elite because um, they've been doing the thing where like Kenny Omega is wrestling meaner than he used to, and you know the Young Bucks. Like uh, I forget if it was Matt or Nick, but like one of them super kicked Marco Stun on the outside. You know, like oh, yeah. for that was you Matt. Know, I mean, yeah, Matt. Like granted, Marco was being being a nuisance, but you know that's not not good guy behavior and like honestly like i think that that's better for the young bucks like they're a great heel tag team they're a good face tag team too but like they they work much better for me as as heels because they're jerks like they're jerks Um, (laughs) nothing nothing about what they do suggests that they'd be you know like pleasant at least so far as like kayfabe is concerned because like they they wrestle like they know that they're better than everyone else and like you know that's fine because nine times out of ten they back it up but they like they wrestle like jerks that's that's all there is to it um and yeah like you know putting putting jungle boy over by having him kick out of finishers is fine like you know ultimately it wasn't i think that there was a different match on the show that had that issue but it was like more egregious because it was like someone like endured like a mortal combat fatality oh it was in the tag team championship match so we'll get to that later um yeah <laughs> but but yeah i don't know like this like this is just like the kind of thing where like when when i say that it went too long i'm not saying that it was bad like you know i i, I think that like they could have accomplished the same thing in 10 minutes instead of 15 uh you know or they could have done like the rockers orient express thing and like had a real barn burner of like a seven minute match that would leave me wanting more. But like, since this wasn't 
you know, once you start getting into 15 minute territory, you're talking about like a featured match. Um, and like the young bucks are a featured tag team, but like there's, there's nothing about the way that this was booked. Uh, and, and honestly, nothing about the way that Lucha, uh, that Jurassic express is, is presented that suggests that this should have been given, you know, more time than most matches would be like at this position on the card. I feel like it slowed things down and things were already pretty slow because we were watching stuff on, on videotape first. <laughs> yeah, like I, I I like the match overall, but like you said, like cut a few minutes off of it and it's still perfectly fine. You still accomplish what you want to accomplish in this. Um, especially for a match that really had no storyline build, because like it's literally just they want an eight man that let them face each other on this pay-per-view. Like there was no storyline going into this in terms of the two teams. It was just more of let's put the young bucks out there and let them act more heelish for a little while. So that we can tease the stuff that comes later on in the pay-per-view after the tag team title match. So, which I don't know, like in a way, like that is kind of a failing of this match. Like they were already doing that with Kenny Omega. Like they were planning on doing that with Kenny Omega. Omega did it better for one because he's further along down that road already, but for two, like not to not to jump ahead too much, but like when Kenny like hits the backstage area after that match and is like, "Let's get out of here!" Like you're either with me or you're not, kind of thing. Like the Young Bucks don't really have a reason to be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" Like let's let's sit and think this out. Like for one, they were already really mean to their alcoholic friend and kicked him out of their clique. Uh, and for two, like they just wrestled like a match where they were both being really, really mean to people who were like much less experienced in the business than them for no reason at all outside of the young bucks can be mean sometimes. So like they should have gotten what Kenny was doing. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's just one of those things where like the the elite stuff is such a, a wide, all encompassing umbrella uh that like it does get kind of confusing and like leads to lapses and storytelling logic uh and i think that that became apparent later on in the show um but yeah i don't know it's just i would have been cool if this were five minutes shorter yeah um and that kind of leads into another match that uh i guess needed to have some length to it just based off of how it was structured the casino battle royale um, yeah. I'm curious because I, we haven't really done a show together where we had one of these matches on the card. I'm curious to get your take on the concept of the Casino Battle Royale overall. I hate it. <laughs> 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 um, you know, just bluntly, like, you know, I, uh, looking at the match graph, like, generally speaking, if, if your match is not like a War Games match and requires a big title card to explain what's going on, that's trouble. Um, I get that battle royales are boring, uh, by their nature. They always have been like, people can pretend all they want that like Andre, the giant winning a bunch of battle royales was cool or whatever. Again, it's just a, it's just a method to see people like you have a roster that roster is full of stars. You want those stars to be featured, throw them in the damn ring, let them punch each other for a while. Doing it in a way that is half Royal Rumble and half War Games and not as satisfying as either 
uh, was kind of weird, like dividing everyone into teams and then drawing like one of four cards and having those teams come out and do their stuff. Like it's one of those things where like the idea is kind of sound, like, you know, from experience from both of the matches that this is kind of borrowing from uh, that, like, if you have a timer, you're setting up for a hot tag. Like it's an automatic hot tag, like three, two, one, big pop, people come out, stuff happens. Harder to do when five people are coming out at once and all of them are at cross purposes. Um, so yeah, like it, the format doesn't work for me. Um, like there, there isn't any real drama generated by it. Like they're like, whoa, here comes Santana and Ortiz out at the same time. Well, cool. If you would have just done it regular way, they would have been out at the same time the whole time. <laughs> like <laughs> I, it just, it did, it didn't change anything. Like it just made it longer. Like, by making it so that there were like nine minutes that had to happen before everyone was in the ring in the first place. Um, actually 12 minutes because you had Matt Seidel come out at the end. Yeah. Which I feel awful for, for Seidel. Like he's a really good wrestler. Um, you know, I remember watching him on the indies before he made it to WWE. And then I remember him in WWE, like primarily as a tag wrestler. Um, and like, he's, he's really great at what he does. Like, I cannot imagine that it is easy to do top rope stuff. Like right now, given how humid and sweaty and disgusting Florida is in general, let alone right now. Um, like, so, you know, him, Ah, that, like, that was one of the worst, like, looking bumps off of a failed shooting star press that I've seen. Like, the Brock Lesnar one was worse, but, like, that one looked like it could have been, like, another inch or so, and it would have been, like, worse. Like, it was was rough to watch, and, you know, he recovered and had a good match after that. Like, so far as anyone can have a good match in a battle royale, but, like, you can only hide how plain every battle royale is so much and the problem with it is that a lot of people end up like looking bad as a result of it uh mm-hmm. pentagon jr though they they went back to calling him penta l0m so that was yeah that, um i kind of wondered if like their deal with triple a ran out um but you know penta and phoenix both looked really bad in this match. They didn't get hardly any offense in and they were thrown out without hardly any notice. Um, you know, like it's, it was, it's just one of those weird things where like those two guys are, are legitimate superstars and like by all rights, like they should be at the top of the card. They're, they're the best tag team in AEW. And like, as soon as they figure out that, that Ray Phoenix is also one of the best singles wrestlers in the world, like, their world head like i want to see phoenix wrestle everyone um but he was just treated like like a mid-card guy who's you know fodder for something else to happen it's really 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 strangely booked where like you know nothing against someone like will hobbs but like you know he had a good match um he should not have had a better match than ray phoenix um (laughs) you know billy gunn getting trucked early like that's totally fine but like 
why why was he there there's other people on the roster like you know Joey Janela could have been in the match and Billy Gunn could have been a producer um like that kind of thing where it's like the people that they were choosing and like the way that they got people over like it just it it didn't work and it was long and it was artificially long like I feel like again like the whole point of that match, there's two points of this match. And the first one is to get Lance Archer over as a monster. Not sure whether they did that. Um, Cause the finish where Jake, the snake Roberts was hitting Eddie Kingston with a pretty obviously fake snake in a bag. <laughs> just, <laughs> just looked, it looked weird and terrible. Uh, and like Jake was like, it was hitting Eddie so weakly and Eddie was trying to do his best and like Lance Archer was doing his best, but like, it didn't, it didn't work. Um, but like, you know, it, it did its job in fulfilling the promise of all of those segments where Lance Archer like kills 20 people who are just standing around Lance Archer for some reason. Um, and I think that it did also did an effective job of teasing that like kind of monster versus monster match that is Archer versus Cage. Like those two had the best match so far as like kayfabe battle royale stuff goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, otherwise, like the the continuing beef between uh, Santana and Ortiz and best friends was fine. Um, I always get a kick out of commentary trying to tell me that uh, Jake Hager is, is doing MMA stuff. They're like, Jake, Jake Hager. Like, I, I think I wrote in my notes, like, I was like, Jake Hager, he's not the kind of guy who cuts weight for MMA. So he's always the same size. And it's like, he hasn't wrestled. He hasn't had an MMA match in like a year. Why would he cut weight for one? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, um, like, just like one of those things. Um yeah, I don't know. Like it was it it was what it was. It did the job, like, but that's kind of a not what you want to say about a match on a pay-per-view. Like it did its job and then it ended. Like that's eh, 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 <laughs> like just you know, I'm like shrugging my shoulders and like cringing a little bit. Like it it certainly was 21 minutes uh on a pay-per-view that ran 3 hours and 48. Um <laughs> No, you're not wrong. I mean, in a lot of ways, like I don't, I don't mind whenever you're trying to explore new ideas in terms of like trying to figure out um, match structures, especially whenever you're trying to play around with the formula of a battle royal. But if you've done this match a number of times, and pretty much every time it hasn't really give like delivered that that excitement level that that you want from it like you need to go back to the drawing board with these things and i will say they've gotten a little bit better time after time in terms of like they actually this time around they actually let everybody come out to their own entrance music as opposed to just throwing up clubs on the screen and having everyone come (laughs) out to a generic a generic music or something um and i will say that this match is already gotten formulaic in, in in only having what i think three to this point like you have your yeah but that's three times in one year yeah it, it is like that's and... a lot in like one like the company's not even a year old yet and we've had this three times just do it I once mean, oh, wait is it three yeah. or is it four like was there like have there been three men's ones and one women's one or I think there were two men's, and then there's one women's, and then at at, at a double or nothing, they did a ladder match 
that oh, had people yeah, coming yeah, in okay. intervals. Yeah. So like they did a ladder match version of this. Uh-huh. So yeah. Yeah. They like I don't know. I like I think this is like the kind of thing where like this is it's not a pre show match. You can't determine the number one contender to the title on on a pre show, but like just do it Royal Rumble style or don't do it at all. Or just have a regular battle royale. Oh, the other battle royale that I was thinking about was the the Dynamite Dozen uh, that MJF won. So, like, yeah, oh, this is yeah. this is a company that is very very heavy on like an antiquated form of wrestling that people don't really like and never really did. Um, and like, honestly, I'm not sure that it's like because none of none of this matters ultimately. Like. It's all about the interaction between Archer and Moxley from here on out. And they could have gotten there any other number of ways that, you know, maybe would have felt fresh or whatever. Like, maybe they just need to start taking cues from, like, Japanese wrestling and have people attack the winner of a title match after the match instead of, like, you know, cutting the black. Like, just something that feels different would be would be nice. Um, this doesn't feel different, even though it's trying very, very hard to be. Yeah, no. I will say there was at least one highlight for me in this match, and that was seeing uh, Sunny Kiss literally yeet heteronormative Trumpism over the top rope <laughs> yeah, by eliminating Jake Hager. <laughs> yeah, I liked. I liked that. I also liked. Um, I mean, I liked it, but like, we'll see what happens with it. Uh, like when Team Taz put Sammy in the, uh, or not Sammy, when they put Darby Allen in the oh god thumbtacks. Like yes. that was cool, but if it leads to yet another angle where Darby Allen is like out and just filming segments of himself in Sabiatone, like jumping off of bridges and stuff like that, like I'm not gonna be too happy because I feel like they have Darby get grievously injured all the damn time. Uh and he needs to stick around. Like he needs to be wrestling regularly and not doing segments. I mean those segments are good, but I, I wanna see him wrestle. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, I I hope he's okay. I know he's done those body bag bumps a number of times already, but Jesus, every time it's just <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not it's not pleasant. God. No, yeah. no, it's not I, the worst bump of the night. Well, actually, speak of the devil because we are moving on to the worst bump of the night, uh, and probably yeah. the major story coming out of this pay per view for a lot of people. The broken rules match between Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara. Um, this, you know, I don't even do we. You don't even need to talk about the match in and of itself. I mean, honestly, the story here is Matt Hardy taking a spear off of a scissors lift, probably like fifteen, at least fifteen feet in the air, coming down, missing the tables, hitting the back of his head on concrete and being legitimately yeah. knocked out and then everything that ensued after that. Because, like, well, like, I, I do have one question story wise, which is yes. why was that the first spot of the match? Who knows? Like why there's like, yeah. I've never seen anything like that before. Like if it would have gone off perfectly well, it would have been spectacular. And like one of the highlights of Matt Hardy's like, you know, 300 year career of taking crazy bumps, but it was in the first five minutes of the match. Like so weird to see it like that early. 
Like there was the DDT on the picnic table and then they immediately go up on the scissor lift. Like what the hell guys? Like that's, that's, that's the last spot, not the Shane McMahon bump off of some scaffolding, which was horrifying to watch because Hardy was wrestling. If you can call it wrestling, like just completely knocked out on his feet and he looked, you know, justifiably like completely winded, not at all there. And was like climbing like 20 feet in the air. Like it was, it was terrifying. The whole thing was terrifying. I like the way that it was handled was, Oh man. Um, like it's been a long time really, um, since I've seen like an, uh, an injury like that obvious and that horrifying, uh, and you know, like Aubrey Edwards handled it correctly, um, like by calling off the match. Like she knew immediately. The announcers knew immediately. Like the first thing that you hear when Matt hits the concrete is it was either like Tony or Excalibur, but like one of them just went Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is not an exclamation that you hear very often from professional commentators in pro wrestling. Like that spot was gnarly. It would have been gnarly had it been pulled off correctly. Um, and like, I don't know, in, in a year uh, that has been in a lot of ways defined by uh, wrestling companies failing labor, uh, like this ends up being one of the most egregious examples of that. Like Matt Hardy could have died. Um, and, you know whoever you believe as to whether or not he had a concussion, because AEW says he didn't. Uh, Matt's wife, Rebby Hardy, says that he did. Um, like, the match shouldn't have continued. The minute the minute that you see something like that, the match is over. Like, I don't, I don't care if he passes a concussion protocol. I don't care if he feels like he needs to finish the match for storyline reasons figure out a new storyline, you know, him, him losing because he hits his head on the concrete. Like that's not something that you can't come back from. Uh, like that's just a thing where you book it so that like he didn't lose by being counted out. So he gets another shot. Like that's, that's easy. I like, you know, that's, it's a failure on the company's part. It's, you know, and, you know, I don't want to call it a failure of imagination because that makes it sound like I'm upset about the story or whatever, but like, this is the kind of thing that you figure out and the answer can't be throw this dude who could barely goddamn walk two minutes ago back out there to do like another, you know, not a dangerous spot because like that crash pad spot's been done so many times by, you know, less athletic people than Sammy Guevara that, you know, under normal circumstances, it would have gone off without a hitch. But again, watching Matt Hardy completely knocked out, climb that scaffold was the most nerve wracking thing I've like seen in wrestling in a while. And I was watching it like two days after it happened. I, I like I I can't like I don't know I don't think I'll I don't think I'll get over this for a while like it's not the first time that you know AEW has kind of screwed up on um like the the in ring like health and well being of their talent before um 
but like this is this is the worst this is like the worst of the three that i can think of um though now that i've said there's three like i'm i'm having trouble recalling uh what was previously the worst I, like there was that one time where they had Britt baker wrestle while dealing with the flu and it was like what the hell are y'all doing like yeah you know, Hay- hayabusa wrestled with the flu once and he broke his neck like you don't do that um but you know it's one of those things where like we still live in a culture that you know valorizes and lionizes the idea of the athlete who plays through pain um and like yeah everyone plays through the pain like even outside of like a an athletic context but there's there's a limit this match reached its limit and like I I can't see a situation like I I I I can't imagine that this won't haunt the people who continued the match like who decided to continue the match uh for for a while like this was not good um not good <laughs> like, No no it definitely wasn't <laughs> And how do you um, even go on after that like the the whole show after the fact was affected by that yeah, it, it definitely was, and nothing should have happened after that bump. Like that, like like you said, like watching him, it was probably one of the most nerve wracking things I've ever seen in all of, of like my pro wrestling fandom to watch Matt Hardy try and climb that truss, um, and, in the state that he was in. It, it should never have gotten to that point. Like, and you were watching I, it live, right? Yeah, I was watching it live. Um, okay, like I have. I, I was I was worried. I was watching it with, with my partner, who was just kind of like watching it out of the side of their eye, and isn't like a huge wrestling fan. But like that, that was like stunning to them yeah. as well as me. Like it was just one of those things where like, is he okay? How are and, the, and then like you had that lull where they went back to commentary and went away, and then all of a sudden they cut back to the two of them fighting with no explanation really, and it's just it it it, it overall like the segment just felt incredibly awkward like there's no reason any of this should be happening and then it got even more awkward as you went further into the show when you had like tony trying to explain twice in a row on two different occasions oh man yeah explain a way that like that that doc samson cleared him and that matt like wanted to go so they restarted the match and like tony khan apparently stopped the match originally but then the doctor cleared him and, and there's just a whole bunch of like mixed messaging in there and then you have what what Rebby is saying and like there's no real clear um message about exactly what happened all around that um and then even like with the labor stuff that you're talking about like you had them like very in close proximity to this match you had the kip sabian backstage segment where they poked fun at wwe over this third party stuff that's come out in the past few days right so like like you, you're you are like poking fun at WWE, cracking down uh, unfairly um, on their talent, while one of your talents literally just knocked himself out on the concrete floor of your building, and you let him not only continue wrestling, but let him climb another high perched area that he could have easily fallen off of and hurt himself even more. It's yeah. egregious. It is disgusting. Yeah. what happened in this whole situation yeah i mean it's it's one of those things where like i feel like particularly in like the modern era where like fans are generally speaking or at least there's a large contingent of fans who are like more quote-unquote like woke there's 
you know, this idea of like wrestling fans as being like safety police or whatever, like, you know, that's too dangerous. That's too dangerous, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, generally speaking, wrestlers are the best people to determine what's too dangerous for them. But again, there's, there's a limit. Like, you know, I don't think that it's possible to justify continuing the match. Um, I'm sure that there are some arguments in favor of having done so. I cannot imagine what those are. Um, you know, outside of like, well, we gotta, we have to have Matt Hardy win somehow so that he doesn't lose his, his job in AEW. And again, like wrestling wheels out of that kind of stuff all the time. Like, Put him in a mask and have him come out as the yellow dog for a couple of months or whatever. Like that's, you know, that's what happens. Yeah, um, exactly. Like it's, I don't know. Like it's, it's an indictment of, you know, how how far we've come in wrestling and yet how short wrestling often comes up when it's when it's time to do the right thing by the people who make the show happen. Um, and it's also like in a weird way and like, again, like it's like just story wise, like a failure of imagination, stop the damn match, take a week, figure it out. Like you don't need to do what they did. Um, and honestly, like, you know, uh, it's terrible that they continued the match. Like it's terrible. It's like, they're so lucky that nothing worse happened than Matt Hardy nearly dying three minutes into a match. That's a yeah. crazy thing to say. God. Oh, it's so gnarly. Ugh. It's it, just in the same way that it was really hard to switch gears from that match to the the following match. Like it's it's hard to even transition out of this discussion into the discussion of what I saw probably as like one of the, one of the top two matches on this card in oh, the, easily easily the women's world championship match. Hikaru Shida defending against uh, the NWA women's champion uh, Thunder Rosa. This match I it was one of I was probably looking forward to this match the most going into the card like i knew mjf and moxley would deliver but like yeah like these two getting together like i i knew this this was going to be magic and it turned out to be just that uh 17 minutes um that felt outstanding and really pulled it for me it pulled me back into the idea of watching a wrestling show after the whole matt hardy stuff um and i i don't know like that like just there's just like a technical wizardry between these two and an intensity and like between like thunder rosa's facial expressions uh mixed in with like just this hard-hitting no nonsense style that they were that they were pulling off here it was just everything clicked for this match for me Uh uh-huh um i i really like this match is i think it was the second best match on the card after the main event um I was, I don't know what I was expecting, uh, frankly. Like, I, I know Sheeta and I know Rosa, and I think that both are incredible. Um, I think that the build was kind of a little bit strange. Like, they did the, the title versus title hook, essentially, but, like, only one of the titles is on the line. 
Um, cause you can't have like, they're not going to have Shida with the NWA women's championship. Like, so if you made it title versus title, it'd be just not, not really feasible. Um, but you know, the NWA women's championship, uh, I think this is probably the first time it's ever been on television. Like is Thunder Rosa on AEW. Like it's, it's not as storied a championship as other titles in the NWA. So like that hook doesn't really matter much i feel like to a more mainstream audience that doesn't necessarily watch nwa power um so like i think it should have been a little bit less 50 50 than it was um like there was never really a moment in the match where one of them seemed to be really struggling like as soon as someone got momentum the other person cut it off um and like that's something that AEW does a lot uh, in its matches, and I think it works here because both women wrestle a harder hitting, more technical style than like you know the high flying stuff and the tag matches that that sort of usually happens in. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like I guess it depends on on what their plans with Thunder Rosa moving forward are, because um, like she came across incredibly like she looked like a killer for most of the match. Um, and that's not something that you do like with your, with your champion, unless you're planning on, on building something more. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was, it was great. Like so far as like, it felt like a baby face, baby face match, which is a hard thing to do. Um, like when it is like intentionally a baby face, baby face match. Um, I liked a lot of what was going on here. Uh, and yeah, like you said, like uh, it made it possible to get back into the idea of watching a wrestling show after something that horrible happened, which is in itself an accomplishment. Like had just about any other match on the card happened after this, like, you know, maybe like had the eight man tag happened directly after, uh, Matt Hardy and and Sammy Guevara like I think that the show would have just totally died for me um but I had a lot of fun with this and and honestly like I what this match did uh was made me want to see another match between the two with Thunder Rosa having more actual momentum behind her in AEW um which I haven't felt that way about you know the women's division in a while uh and that's not a failing of any of the women on the on in the roster like that's a failing of the company and i feel like this kind of goes a fair amount of the way towards addressing that in a way that uh the tooth and nail match did not earlier in the show yeah i mean this really was like the spectacle for their women's division um on this show and it delivered and it shows what is capable um within it and yeah, yeah I, i'm i really hope that this relationship between the nwa and AEW continues because i think thunder rosa obviously proved that she belongs on that stage um yeah i, I would argue she's proved she's been proven that for a number of years now but um she definitely deserved that spot and held her own there and there's a number of other female talent in the nwa ranks that i think um would do well on that stage as well like you know whether it be um um allison k or ashley vox you know, yeah. like some of the bringing, like kind of like, especially whenever you have um, so more of your high profile uh, women wrestlers um, on the shelf right now, especially with, you know, like Chris Statlander 
being injured, um, Britt Baker still trying to come back. And you know, I I have no idea what they're doing with Nyla at this point. Um, Rico is like, like in Japan right now, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, Rio. I think Rio was on like a Gato Move show last okay. week. So <laughs> yes, yeah. So like Rio's doing her thing over there. Um, yeah. So I I feel like if you're gonna have like a lot of your top tier women talent like be kind of like put on like to cool a little bit, a relationship with NWA to play with some of of, of their um, roster members, like it wouldn't be a terrible idea, especially if you are able to put Rosa. Um, on an even higher stage for a rematch like you're talking right about. I, I would love to see these two go at it again yeah and i mean like there's there's a lot of potential like with with what they've done lately like if they don't sign serena deeb after that match like i don't mm. know what they're doing uh the fact that nicole savoy has yet to show back up uh since that tag team tournament is frankly surprising to me um like before the tag tournament was announced, like I was kind of joking around about like what I would do to fix the AEW women's division. And I tweeted that I would do a, like a random draw tag team tournament uh, and that I would bring an outside <laughs> talent for it. Uh, and that, and that one of the, one of the hires that I would make uh, was Veda Scott to do commentary for it. Uh, <laughs> and that like one of the five women that I would have brought in, uh, was Thunder Rosa and like another one is like Allison K. Luke Fisto was on there and like you know two others that I forget because it was just an offhand tweet like four weeks ago. Um, two out of six of the names that I suggested happened, so you know I I would be stoked to see you know particularly like if you want to talk about the women of the NWA coming over like if Allison K came over that would mean a great deal to me personally as someone who who worked with Allison K and AIW for a while. Um, but she's she's great and she's deserved you know another shot on a major television program since her run and impact ended some time ago um and yeah like they it's so strange like there's there's a perception of women's wrestling in the united states right now that like as soon as it became clear that there was competition uh like the wwe kind of like signed every available women's wrestler on the independents and they did. They signed a ton of them, and they continued to sign them. Like, I went to an Evolve show that had a rare women's match on Evolve, and at the end of it, William Regal came out and signed Shotzi Blackheart. And it's like, damn, she's barely been wrestling for like on, at this level for, you know, a year or so, and she's going to NXT already? Like, that's wild. Like, it used to take forever for women on the indies to get signed, but like they felt pressure. They signed a bunch of people and like AEW hasn't really shown that they know what to do with the women's division yet, but there's still a shocking amount of talent out there that they could have on their shows. Um, and I think that having Sheeta do showcase matches is a good idea for them to continue exploring that the same way that they did uh, with the Cody Rhodes TNT championship thing which they wound up getting Ricky Starks and, and Eddie Kingston out of. Um, but, you know, they have to keep doing stuff like this, uh, which they do. Like on, on pay-per-views, they have significant women's championship matches, and they usually, like, I don't think that one has failed to deliver so far. Um, but they need to keep doing it, and they need to keep building it on television. Uh, and that's been what's missing like again i like it's something that i maybe miss because i don't have time for dark and like i might not be 
paying attention to commentary all the time, but I, I feel like the, the women's tag team tournament just happened and has been forgotten. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the perception that you get, especially because, like, the winners of that tournament, Ivelisse and Diamante, I don't think they've been featured on Dynamite since winning that tournament. Yeah, like, where are they at? Like, they were they were a good tag team. Um, I liked them a lot together, and it was impressive that they were the first time, like, the first team to actually, like, the first time they teamed was that tournament, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, like, where are they at? where's where's nicole savoy at like where are these like other women who've come through like again serena deeb like you know she she was a great wrestler um before her like dalliance with wwe uh during like the straight edge society days when she got signed to like uh fcw and was like wrestling naomi like early in naomi's career like she was great then she was great after she got fired from WWE and went to Japan and wrestled Asuka, um, like in Tajiri's promotion over there. Like she was great when she returned to Shimmer, uh, and then WWE took her off the indie so she could be a coach. And like I, I never thought that I would see her wrestle again, like truthfully, because she's had a fairly long career and it's been a weird one. And like if she, if she wanted to walk away, like it would make sense, but she didn't. She's still just as good as she was. Like sign her, sign some of the standouts from from recently, like you know, including you know Thunder Rosa. Um, like if if the NWA folds or does whatever it's doing, like it's hard to tell with that company. Um, yeah. but you know, it's it's <sighs> glimmers of potential are are fine. Uh, until you've had too much like glimmer and not enough like actual results um so you know we'll see we'll see where they go from here but um they have to start giving women more than one segment on dynamite they have to start treating it like it matters and like if they do we'll get more of this which was great yeah especially if you continue to message put or put the message out there that your women's division is supposed to matter like you have to treat it like it does so you have to treat it like it does yeah yeah um we did get the promo where Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford are getting married. I have no idea why. Um, <laughs> like, you know, uh, it, it's going to be one of the worst wrestling weddings ever. Um, I've seen a lot of them. Uh, you know, it's not going to be Billy and Chuck, uh, but, you know, it could, it could, it could be up there. You never that know. That was a commitment ceremony anyhow, so it's not oh, yeah, running. Oh, that's right. But, yeah. Who do you think Kip's best man is going to be? Because this sounds God. like a debut angle. It it that's honestly that was like the main takeaway I had from this. Like obviously there's a wedding that's going to happen, but like this is just a way to introduce somebody. And I honestly have no clue. Like I'm trying to think of like anybody who would be like under like the best man, um, sort of moniker. And and I don't yeah. I don't know like because obviously like with with all the situation with Jimmy Havoc that has unfolded. Um, that team is no more. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've been trying to think of somebody, and I'm just keep drawing blanks. Yeah, it's hard. Like, cause you know, the I guess the other problem is like, who is Kip Sabian, and when is AEW <laughs> planning on filling us in on that? I, think, <laughs> like, I, think, I saw somebody tweet like Kip Sabian is a better valet than a wrestler <laughs> at this point which is not yeah. wrong 
Like him no, during Penelope Ford matches, like is money. Yeah, he's fine. He does yeah. he does a good job there. But yeah, I don't know. Like initially I wanted to be like, oh, it's gonna be some other British person, like maybe Marty Skrull, but that's not possible because he's signed the Ring of Honor and is the head booker. Um I don't know who else is available from England, but uh yeah, I I, I don't over? know. Like who like who could it possibly be that would matter given Kip Sabian's position on the card? Like, I didn't realize that Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford had been together long enough in a kayfabe context for marriage to even be on the table. <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought they were still in that, like, we're, we're just feeling each other out phase of dating where, like, they're rubbing it in Joey Janela's face or whatever, which that storyline never resolved. Um, right. So maybe maybe Kip Sabian's best man will be nobody because they'll forget about it. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, I God, who knows? Who knows at this point? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's yeah, maybe it'll be like more more horse. They'll bring more horse back. <laughs> <laughs> that would be one of the most awkward pairings. <laughs> But I would be yeah. so here for it. <laughs> it would just be like weddings rule ass and everyone will freak out on Twitter or whatever. Like, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Free free advice. <laughs> um. um God, and it's so interesting that they're adding another name to the card because we already have so many other people that don't really have anything else to do right now, as evidenced by yeah. our next match. Oh yeah. The uh eight man tag, uh Scorpio Sky, Matt Cardona. And the uh, what is it? The nightmare, the natural, natural nightmares. Night- there we go. Yeah, QT Marshall and Dustin Rhodes against the Dark Order. Um, I I don't know what honestly to say about this match because, like, I mean, every, the work was fine. Like the the story coming out of it was okay with like you know the Mister Brody Lee relationship with Colt Cabana, like taking a different turn for the first time. I did find it funny that Evil Uno was the one that stuck around and like picked Colt up and was like, Consoled it's okay. Colt Cabana, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, now you know how we all, uh, everyone else feels in this group. Um, okay. It didn't this, get the papers. This was the match, like, I think I said earlier that I thought it was the, the tag title match that had like someone kick out of a Mortal Kombat fatality. It was this one. Uh, like, there's that point in the match, like, towards the end almost, I feel like, where like QT uh gets that like pop up like weird liger bomb thing from the dark order that should be a finisher but isn't yeah then he gets like kicked or clotheslined by Brody lee i forget and then colt cabana hits like a super fly splash from the top rope and without any help somebody who was until like coronavirus necessitated his elevation on the card like a jobber like he was he was there to lose all the time he kicked out of all of that. I don't know how. Like, nobody would kick out of that. Like, <laughs> um, it, it, like I, I don't get mad about that kind of stuff that often. But, like, dude, this is a guy whose gimmick is, like, eating an apple before the match. Like, he's not kicking out of a clothesline if it's hard enough. Like, I, like, I just didn't get it. Um, it was impressive that all those moves happened in sequence. That looked good. They looked good. Um, and I, like, I think that the Dark Order is actually, like, pretty interesting. Like, I, you know, I've seen a lot of Colt Cabana over the last however long I've been watching wrestling. And, like, this is the most interesting he's been 
in a long time like uh the the whole like kind of beholden to a cult thing and like the the cycle of like abuse and reward that he's going through is is kind of interesting uh action figure podcaster matt cardona a little less so uh, <laughs> I, was, I was just about to ask your opinion on yeah. matt cardona so far in an aw ring uh, in my notes, I accidentally typed out Zack Ryder most of the match, <laughs> uh, and like you know, I, I'll like I'll be honest. There was a there was a point in time where like I really really enjoyed uh, Matt Cardona, uh, like his work. Um, like you know, I I thought that he was great uh, on WWE CW. Um, I thought that he was good. Uh, like when he was, you know, doing a YouTube show and, you know, doing that internet champion gimmick and like really like, you know, people give being the elite a lot of credit for like web shows and wrestling, but like, it's like Zack Ryder is the, is, you know, again, see, there I am. Uh, Matt Cardona is the person who really like kind of broke that door open for a lot of wrestlers and like the work that he was doing was good. But then he just kind of became a guy through no fault of his own. Like, you know, it happens. Um, but he still feels just kind of like a guy who is wrestling in a promotion that maybe doesn't have uh, steroid testing. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like he's still doing all the same stuff that he was doing in WWE a year ago, only it just has different moves. Like it's not the broski boot anymore because that's trademarked. It's not you know, uh, I don't, the rough rider because he's not Zack Ryder anymore, but like, he's, he's not different. He's just the same guy. Uh, and like when he's like, I don't even work here. It's like, good. Like there's other people, <laughs> um, you know, like, and I, like, I just don't get like, I, like if you read my, I, I complain pretty frequently about, uh, the, the stable that I do not call, like the nightmare family i just call it cody Rhodes and friends um because that's what it is uh and like you know i'm not as one over on scorpio sky as as other people are but like he's a good wrestler and he doesn't deserve to be just kind of lumped in with these people like this like the dark order makes sense as a team uh this like the the team opposite from them uh look like one of those like mid 90s new generation attitude era teams where like all right here's the godwins and their partners fake diesel and razor ramon like <laughs> it's like it just doesn't like you know like you're just looking at like a like a puzzle like trying to figure it out but the pieces are to different puzzles like i don't know it like it didn't work for me and like outside of continuing like the the colt cabana thing which like seeing him wrestle like a jerk was kind of fun um but like the rest of it was like all right cool like we have to set up a title match for wednesday which they could have done the previous wednesday if they wanted to uh and we have to get our, our tnt champion on tv and we have to continue this angle with colt cabana and and the dark order it did that but again, like we're we're talking about a show that has too many matches that just do their job, and this took fifteen minutes to do it. Like again, like it's it's an obvious mid card match that's being given a crazy amount of time. Like I I have been watching a lot of mid ninety Survivor Series matches lately, and like 
those are 25 minutes and they feel like 50. This was 15 minutes and it felt like 30. Um, and it, and it shouldn't have been like put in that position. Uh, I think that they maybe were compensating for the broken rules match going shorter than it should have. Um, but they didn't have to because that was the only match on the card that ran short. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So it didn't, didn't really do anything for me. Uh, I I think that the match that it sets up for Wednesday is is really interesting. Um, I like Dustin a lot. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Uh, I hope that Rhodes' family nonsense is pushed aside and that it's just a straight match. But I don't really get what I want all that frequently when it comes to this company. So, um, yeah, <laughs> like it happens. Yeah. I'm I'm right there with you on that. I am curious to get your take on like the one point of like controversy that's really come out of this match with uh, Jr. and his uh, comment horrible. about Anna J. Yeah, absolutely horrible. Yeah, um, like you know, I there at some point in time, like you know, Jim Ross is uh, you know an old man who pervs out over women on Twitter a bunch and like. I guess I guess that's just the thing that's going to happen forever because he's, you know, a legend in the industry and, you know, he's he's proved his stripes or whatever. He had no business doing that. Like it just it it rose to the occasion of it like or to the level of of being like sexual harassment. Um and that is that is a massive issue. Um, and he's not immune to doing that uh, when other women are wrestling. Like, we were truly blessed that Ross was not on the call for anything but the last uh, women's tag team tournament match because, like, who knows? You give that dude an hour and he's really bored. And because women aren't money in his eyes, he's not talking about big money like he does with the elite or wrestling or whatever. Um, so, yeah, all he, all he had for Anna Jay was speculating as to whether or not she had a wardrobe malfunction and that he, he it would have been a lucky thing if she did. Like I, oh. I, I, you know, I'm not surprised uh, that it happened, uh, but I am also, you know, like great, wonderful. Like how come this has to happen <laughs> uh, ever, let alone like, you know, during like during a uh, wrestling pay-per-view, like be a professional man. Like you've done the job for 40 years, like, and I don't know, like maybe because you had Jerry, the King Lawler next to you for 20, like you were spared from doing all of that. But like, nobody is asking for you to be a weirdo uh, because a girl like, you know, 35 years younger than you is pretty chill out, calm down, <laughs> take a cold shower and go home <laughs> like yeah. that's oh god yeah no i'm i'm right there with you i just like i remember being taken aback by that and the the mr wrestling 2 comment he made during the women's title match too like that was just one of those this like i just do not understand why like you're invoking these sort of things during oh, i love mr wrestling during... too so well i mean i love mr wrestling too as well <laughs> but like it's one of those things where like i don't know how well known it is but like yeah no one cares is the problem yeah, exactly like, 
he's always doing that too like i like it's always some like old old man like uh damn there was like another one uh somewhere god i forget who it was but like it was like ray stevens or someone like when someone went over the top rope and it's like nah dog he just fell over the top rope like that's that's fine it happens like it's not like an old wrestler um like do all of that during ftr's match since all they do is old man wrestling moves um exactly with way terrible names uh <laughs> <laughs> I like oh, FTR. yeah I, I i i love ftr but oh let's let's get to that let's let's move on let's get to the tag team match let's get to the tag team title match we're already on it yeah, ftr yeah. omega and page um 30 minutes Yep. 30 30 minutes. I'm yep. not gonna lie, I I love this match. Um okay. but um uh, I'm not I, I think that part of that might be um swayed because my internet cut out for the first 10 minutes of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came back in for like the last two thirds and I loved it. I went back and watched the full match um and uh-huh. I still liked it, but yes. The criticisms about the length and some of the pacing in this match are credible. <laughs> um, like if this this is probably the one match on the card where being in the setting that they're in uh, uh, with the pandemic circumstances um, really hurt it. Like if yeah. this is probably the one match that in front of a, a crowd in, a, in an arena, it would have come off twice as as good as it did um that being said the mind breaker is a terrible name for the spike pile driver it sounds like either no they that's about that second one that they hit on page like that was scary to me it was like lightly it wasn't even that it was scary like i feel like they lightly touch like the boot and like i'm supposed to believe that it's like a real like a spike pile driver or whatever they don't put any extra heat into it um my my big concern was the first time they tried the Steiner Bulldog, like they almost killed Kenny Omega. Mm. Um, like, I mean, it's a difficult move to pull off uh, without Scott Rick Steiner. You know, nearly ended Buff Bagwell's career with the top rope Bulldog. So, like, it's a dangerous move. But like, I don't know. Like, I my my issues with FTR have more to do with like i mean one time so i went to an nxt house show and they wrestled american alpha and i was like damn this match is really really good and then takeover happened on saturday and it was the exact same match and i was like oh oh man like <laughs> they were just doing that thing where they were like running the match and then doing it over again like they were practice wrestlers like kind of which happens like that's a lot of wrestlers are like i feel like a lot of wrestlers now uh, definitely have like a lot of planned out spots that they run through a bunch and like it works um but i i kind of saw through the looking glass on that one and haven't really given them a break since which might not be fair but i also don't care about like tag team gimmicks or wrestling gimmicks in general where it's like i'm a capital w wrestler from 1984 I believe in tag ropes and breaking at five and all this other stuff. Like, it's just like, all right, man, like wrestling has changed and there's no, there's no going back. Like you can be a classic wrestler without like making that your thing. Like Drew Gulak is a classic wrestler. 
Brian, like Brian Danielson is a classic wrestler. Uh, Cody Rhodes is a classic wrestler. Like, and none of those dudes make a point out of being like, ah, the rules of wrestling. Like you're not allowed to jump off the top rope in my matches because that's not how it was 30 years ago when I liked wrestling kind of thing. Um, And it's, it's like, I get it because it allows them to do like classic heel tag team wrestling but the already existing rules within AEW also allow them to do that. Like, I just, I don't get the gimmick. Um, and like, I just, I've never, I never found it charming. Like even like, even when they were the revival in WWE, like I just, I didn't get it. Like it's, it's fine. Like just be a tag team and you can be a solid tag team. But like, if you're commenting on how, everyone does flips and all this other stuff. Like it was like a big problem with my, with the, with the Moxley MJF build for me was like breaking the fourth wall and starting to complain about how like wrestlers these days are in it for the high spots or whatever. Like, I just don't care about any of that. Um, I also don't like that they use power and glory's finisher for a two count show respect. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) One of the, one of the best tag team finishes of all time. It should be winning championships to this day. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like this had kind of the same problem that, uh, like, the Young Bucks and Jurassic Express did, where, like, you know, well, it had two problems. The first of which is that, like, the Kenny Omega, uh, like, Young Bucks, and, like, the elite storyline with, with Hangman Page being, like, drunk and aloof, like, was building to a, a Kenny Omega Young, like, the, the elite fighting each other. I think that happened, like, maybe, right? Like, there was yeah. Bucks versus, yeah. Yeah, that so, was like, a revolution, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. That's how the, like, that's how the abandonment of, uh, you know, Adam Page probably should have happened. Like, this is pretty clear after a certain point that, like, it wasn't going to be Page turning on his friends. It was going to be the other way around. Um, I thought that the spot at the end, like, this, like, once the match was over, it it was great. Like, I loved all the stuff with, like, Omega, like, not, like, going for the hug that Page was going for. So Page just collapsing on the canvas. Like, I thought that was great. That was one of the um, like, best visuals I've seen in pro wrestling ever. Yeah, honestly, so good. I loved it. Um, but like to get there, it's asking you to go on a hike. Um, <laughs> and like you know, for me, like Paige being abandoned by uh, FTR, that's good. Like uh, that's that's kind of what needed to happen. Um, and like the kind of teased dissension between Omega and Paige, like was going to come to a head eventually. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like to me, this was kind of a disappointing ending to the Omega page tag team, which I think was like almost undisputed, the best tag team in pro wrestling uh, since they got together. Like there, there was a weird magic about them that I wasn't expecting. Like it made me appreciate Kenny Omega again. Uh, and it made me buy into Adam page, uh, after his like loss to Jericho kind of saw him meander around AEW's landscape for a while. Um, like, I don't know now, now I'm stuck with the tag team that I don't really like defining the tag team division. 
probably leading towards a match with the Young Bucks. That's going to be a little bit weird because the Young Bucks are turning heel and FTR are heels. I like, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where like, I, I, I feel like particularly with the elite, like they're always like rushing to do the thing that they want to do way too early, considering all the other things that they want to do. Like the dominoes haven't been set up yet, let alone like falling into place. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I thought that the match was fine, but like, I don't know. There wasn't there wasn't a ton here for me personally because this isn't like despite the fact that I love old man wrestling, like Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood are not my my style of old man wrestler. <laughs> I, I completely understand that. Um and I, I can totally see where this match wouldn't have worked for anybody that, that didn't that didn't really buy into it. Um but the real spotlight of it wasn't the post match stuff. And I think that I'm with you in that the Omega page tag team has, was oddly like explosive in a way over the past six or so months. And yeah. it really reinvigorated Kenny Omega and, and Adam page um, going forward here. And I think whatever this builds to, I think likely is some somewhere Omega and page are going to meet down the line, maybe at full gear, maybe further down, but um it it made me interested in what they're going to do now afterwards. Um, yeah. And I honestly, I, that was probably the goal for this tag team all along. Um, and in that way it succeeded. Um, I just, the match itself probably did not deliver in the way that even they wanted it to. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that initially they were setting it up for page to turn heel, but like his character, like the aloof, anxious millennial drunk, like got over in a babyface way in a way that they weren't expecting like yeah because they were they were teasing that page was gonna was gonna be the one to turn on omega like early on in the championship reign and then they kind of dropped it because like you know at least they saw like in this instance like you kind of got to play the hot hand and people were really really into this page character and it'll be interesting to see what happens with him because like i don't think that you keep him like drinking uh like or whatever um because they don't really know how substance abuse works <laughs> um, so you know now 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 that like he's hit bottom like he's magically going to be like all right no more drinking during matches kind of like thing but i i can't wait to see it because like page page should be a huge star like i i wouldn't be surprised if like you know depending on how his upcoming feud with omega and maybe the bucks go like I wouldn't be surprised if, if by next year he's either like a contender for the world title again, or maybe takes the strap. Like he's, he's that good. And, and I like him a lot and I really did not feel that way before this tag team. So it's, it's, it's done its job, but it's done its job in the way that you want it to do its job where like you actually want to see what happens next. So yeah, great, great segment. Really extremely well booked. Can't wait for Kenny Omega to bring back those chainsaw arms. Yes, I want it. <laughs> I, uh, you don't know what you actually miss until it's gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course that brings us to uh, the other bit of goofy on on this show. Um, Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho. I am not going to call him the demo god. That is one of the dumbest <laughs> nicknames I have ever heard in pro wrestling. Um, yeah, it's not I, good. No, uh, in a Mimosa Mayhem match where, yeah, you can win by pinfall submission, but everybody knew 
everybody knew someone was going in 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 the in the mimosa for this match. Yeah, um, they they shouldn't have had those stipulations at all. Like the only way that like the only reason to have that is if you're gonna have like Orange Cassidy lose by sudden pinfall or something like that. Like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like everybody knew where this was going, and I think for me, like the match for what it was, it delivered. Um, obviously, it's not going to be the the as high quality of a wrestling match as like their first match was, or even their second match um, was, but this was, it was a nice respite from some of the other stuff, especially coming after a half hour long tag team title match. Um, It was just fun. It was as like seeing orange Cassidy, like throw, like first off, hold on to mimosa while in a Boston crab and then, throw it in Jericho's face and it's like all the different ways that they kind of teased this this spot of someone going in um was perfect and then Jericho the way that he fell into the vat was just even more pristine like he landed exactly how he would be whenever he was whenever he was lounging in his hot tub one of those yep. initial bubbly promos like it looked like he had just fallen in there and was just like chilling was like all right whatever yeah like I'm in it now um I don't know how did this come off for you um, I, I pretty much, you know, mostly agree with you. Um, the thing that I feel like most people aren't going to notice about this is that it's essentially a casket match. True. Um, like, you know, complete with like such classic casket match spots as trying really hard to put someone in a casket by the top 10th of their body being their head and not the mass of their body. And then being really frustrated when it doesn't happen, <laughs> trying to kick somebody into an open casket and watching as they do like kind of like a hula move, but don't fall in. Like it was a casket match, but instead you got thrown into a pool. Uh, and I I didn't realize until I watched this match that casket match or casket matches are just dunk tanks that serve to give the Undertaker three months off. <laughs> um, so like that's that's like kind of the thing when you work when you work with the constraint of a match where the object is to throw somebody into the thing there's really only so much you can do um and they did it um like i don't think they should have uh like going back to the tooth and nail match like you know Orange Cassidy, like, the first match against Jericho was really, really good. Like, it was great, actually. And, you know, it did, it made Orange Cassidy, like, a legitimate star. The second match was not good because Jericho was really, really tired, probably from Sturgis. Uh, and this match, instead of giving Cassidy, like, a clean pinfall win that doesn't look like an accident, like, decided to be, like, kind of kind of like half goofy and half serious like the same as the tooth and nail match um and like i don't think that like putting chris jericho in a pool full of orange liquid has the same punch you know pardon the pun given orange cassidy's finisher's name uh as like having him just straight up beat jericho like it's it's an embarrassment and like the whole thing is that like if orange beats jericho then jericho's embarrassed by it but there's a difference between being embarrassed by falling into a pool which you know that's a matter of losing balance uh and uh you know being embarrassed because you lost to someone you swore that you wouldn't like clean in the middle of the ring um so like yeah for what it was it was fine but 
like, you know, at the end of the match, like Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross were talking about this feud, like it was Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. And it's like, oh, they had God. one, they had one great match. Like, don't call this a classic feud yet. Like, this shouldn't be the end of the feud. Like, they need to have a second really good match before, before like you start giving it any accolades. Um, like, I just like, I don't know. I like, I, I, I love both wrestlers. Like, Jericho's been like one of my favorite wrestlers since I was a kid, and like Orange has been like one of the best stories to come out of AIW or not AIW, AEW. Um, I just like, I want them to have a match that's as good as the first match they had, but with orange winning, that's what I want. Um, and yeah, I mean it like between the tag title match and the world championship match, this felt more like a break than something that I was meant to really, really care about. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think, I mean, obviously it would have been, I think the better choice here was to have Orange get a pin, and then you could still have the visual of Jericho going into the vat. Yeah. You know? Like, it that's it, it writes itself in that way. Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I get the idea. Like, obviously Orange is destined for, for bigger things down oh for forward. sure yeah it's um, weird to say that he's destined for bigger things than wrestling AEW's biggest star but, right yeah. <laughs> um. but i don't know like i i'm i like the match i had fun with it but it did not yeah, carry the same tone that that you would want from a blow-off like like that similar to right. like you said before like the tooth and nail match so I don't know. I, I, I it makes me curious to see what they do with Cassidy going forward because like it seems like they have a number of programs kind of set up already tied yeah. to titles. So it's more so like who do they want to pair him with next? Yeah, um, and I I think they're still kind of figuring out what it means that people buy into Orange Cassidy as much as they do. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I and mean, there's a lot to dissect with that character and just the different depths that it can go. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Um, what? And of course, that brings us to the main event of the night. Um, MJF challenging John Moxley for the AEW World Championship in uh, a match that, honestly, I I think was probably the most obviously the most built up match going into the card and the one that delivered the most on that build up for me personally. Yeah. Um, granted, like the last two weeks had some missteps in terms of the build. Obviously, like the I don't know why you do the match with the lawyer um, on the no, go home show. Like that just it just didn't feel right. But in the end, the, like this delivered. It was it was hard hitting. Like you, MJF got to showcase himself uh, on a main event stage for the first time um, and really prove that he does belong there. Prove what everybody's been saying for a while. Um, and you have an out with, with the way that the match ended with, of course, the paradigm shift being banned and then, you know, the referee's back being turned and Moxley just like, yeah, fuck it. Giving a good old Toriano shrug afterwards and, yeah. uh, and walking out with his belt like he promised he would. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my whole thing with MJF is like, I, I have been waiting for a while to see what other people see in him. Um, I 
did not think that the build to this match was good because I I think that the MJF presidential candidate gimmick is bad. Um, like the the first like the state of the industry address that he did uh, was like just you know inside reference after inside reference after inside reference like it never really came together for me um in a way that like you know mjf seemed small time in comparison to john moxley like the whole time until this match um which from moxley's side of the equation that was the point like max like as he said in like interviews outside of AEW like going into this like Maxwell Jacob Friedman is going to be a big star he is a big star already like he can be a main eventer right now but in kayfabe like in the the promo like the promo package before the match he was like the thing that this match is going to prove is that you're not ready yet and that was the story of the match was Moxley trying to prove that and MJF trying to prove the opposite and i think that it was very very well booked around that like you know and commentary like we 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 talked about jim ross like not doing very well uh earlier and he frequently isn't anymore but there was a point uh at which like midway through the match when moxley hurls or slingshots mjf into the ring post and starts bleeding that ross goes on this tear about you know, the psychological strain of like tasting your own blood as a young wrestler who hasn't done that that much. Um, and like whether or not he can like endure that. I thought that was fantastic. It put that over so well. And like the wrestling complimented it. Like MJF was panicking a little bit. Um, and that let Moxley get the advantage. I liked um, two out of three of the times when Moxley went for the paradigm shift uh and and backed off the third time bryce remsburg was like think about what this means think about what this means and i was like eh, it's not really the referee's job to remind the wrestler of the, of the stipulations <laughs> yeah uh, like in any other situation this is a legal wrestling move so like if he does it it's your job to call for the bell and award the bell to mjf but you know it led to it led to a nice spot like this was like far and away to me like the best match on the card um and like again like the same way that the tag team of omega and page allowed me to buy into both wrestlers in a way that i either hadn't in a while or hadn't period like i i get where people are coming from with mjf like i still need a little bit more like i need i need to see him in a program that isn't like you know against one of the top wrestlers in the company like which is a weird thing to say um but his two feuds to this point have been cody rhodes and john moxley like he's there and can hang with those people but i don't know where he is outside of that like i want to see him you know i want to see him like wrestle a scorpio sky or an orange cassidy like actually now that i say that like an mjf orange cassidy feud seems like a pretty natural thing that should happen at some point um but yeah like i don't know um i i think that they're probably going to have more mjf moxley stuff because there's always a little bit of overhang so that dynamite has you know matches that are a big draw um and like frankly like i i look forward to seeing the second match which is not something that i thought i was going to feel 
uh, going into this. Like, you know, it, it was given classic wrestling match length. Like it was given a, a, a big period of time to work with and it earned it. Like I thought, um, and you know, if this is the start of, of MJF, like truly becoming like the, the next big thing that I've been told over and over again by commentary, Twitter and everyone else he's going to be, I welcome it. Like, you know, he's, he's got all, he, he has potential like to, to continue overusing that phrase. Um, <laughs> and, you know, at the same time, like the natural, like the, the fact that this match works as well as it does, even though, you know, going into it, that MJF is not winning um, speaks to how well they did what they were trying to do. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And I think like the psychology of of the match, like, you know, where Moxley going for the, for the paradigm shift leads to MJF having so many times to like get the upper hand on things, even where like, you know, Moxley in his promo saying like, you're gonna, like, you're gonna be tested and you're gonna try and find a way out. And, yeah. and his way out tends to be the ring. And that's what yep. leads to his downfall. Like it just, it I all plays so well together. Yeah. Like that spot yeah. was, was really, really good. Yeah. It's just, it, this is like, there's always like, no matter what happens on an AEW show, well, maybe not no matter because that obviously the Matt Hardy stuff colors a lot of yeah. that yeah, opinion yeah, yeah. with these shows. But like in the past with other AEW shows, like there might've been like something that was a disappointment, but at the end of the day, you see at least one or two things on an AEW pay-per-view that shows you, they know how to tell a engrossing story with what they're doing in the ring. And they, they definitely left you with that idea with this match. Um, yeah at the end they have the best world championship division in american wrestling like and it's really not even close like um smackdown is picking up a little bit with roman reigns but you know like i don't care about raw nxt is a mess uh and you know that that leaves AEW and from the very start, like from the Jericho era forward, like they've done an incredible job and they've done a better job of establishing a secondary title than I thought that they would too. Like they're, they're, they're doing really like, you know, outside of the women's division in general, like they have such a strong sense of what the top of each of their divisions should look like. And you know, this is another main event World Heavyweight Championship match that feels like a main event World Heavyweight Championship match, and I don't, I don't think you can ask for much more than that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, that was uh, AEW All Out 2020. Um, overall takeaways for you from this show? Oof. Um, uh, the the thing with Matt Hardy is going to overshadow like everything else um you know like it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens there um i also kind of have seen like you know it's really weird that mjf retweeted tony khan's tweet about how matt hardy was just fine uh after the show like they're they're kind of in uh damage control mode after that um and 
you know, like it probably be, it'd probably be better for them to be like, yeah, we kind of we kind of screwed that up, guys. Like we'll get better in the future than like, you know, try to cover for what happened. Um, but you know, outside of that, um, even like you know, frankly, this was a disappointing pay per view. Even taking that out of the equation, like there were two matches that I was really into, and like the rest of it, like was just long it was long and that's not what i have felt in watching other AEW pay-per-views before i'm sure that they've been just as long um but they never felt like it until now um and that's surprising like because outside of the one dynamite that had serious timing issues like AEW shows are usually quick they're usually fast-paced uh, they usually give you, like, you know, something to chew on. And this did not, um, outside of, you know, the main event in the women's championship match. And on an 11-match card, uh, nine, if you discount the pre-show, there's there's not an excuse for that. Like, I, I wouldn't recommend the show to someone who was, like, looking to watch a wrestling show in 2020. Yeah, I'm with you in, in similar fashion. Like, if you can if you can find the women's match or the main event like separate from the rest of the thing, even like I would still argue the tag team match is worth is worth checking out. Um, yeah, if you're into that style of stuff. Um, but like outside of that, like it just a lot of it just didn't land the way that they wanted to. Um, whether it be because of execution or length. Um, and of course the Matt Hardy stuff is going to stay with this for what it's going to overshadow this show specifically for I think for a very, very long time. And it's going to hang over the company's head for, um, a long time as well i think even with them like putting Matt Hardy back, they're putting Matt Hardy back out on dynamite to address it. And I don't know why. Like, what like, could you possibly have to say about that other than really sucks that it happened? Exactly. Like, just just be upfront about it. Just like, yeah, we fucked that up, and we need to like we need we need to do better, and we will do better. It's not that hard. I don't know. Yeah, no, but that's you know historically, like wrestling can never admit that it was wrong. Uh, oh. and it never will. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, years from now when we talk about this gruesome Matt Hardy spot, assuming that we do, it'll just be that was a different time. Wrestling was different back then. We didn't know what we know about brain injuries now, which is exactly what we say about 2007. Um, <laughs> you know, like there's always that excuse, and um, it's not a good one. Because, uh, you know, like I said earlier, we live in a era of professional wrestling where fans are more and more uh, knowledgeable uh, or, you know, quote unquote woke or whatever. Um, and like they don't fall for that stuff the same way that they used to. Like the worst possible thing could have happened during that match. And like everyone is lucky that it did not um, because, you know. Uh, not to not to bring in like another like horrifying wrestling tragedy, but like the one thing about Owen Hart's dying uh, is that it wasn't on camera. Like they were, it was in the middle of a uh, promo package, so you didn't see it. But 
if something worse than what happened to Matt Hardy was the outcome of that move, you would have seen it because the camera did not miss it. And I would struggle uh, with like returning to wrestling after that. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm glad that it isn't as bad as it could have been. I am astonished that like we're witnessing the company trying to play it off as though it wasn't so bad uh, and disappointed. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, well, Colette, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Let everybody know where they can find you and all the stuff you got going on over at uh, FanFight. All right, yeah. Uh, you can find me at uh, FanFight, uh, which you can find by typing in www.fanbyte.com slash wrestling. Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Colette Arend. Um, and uh, I don't know if it's okay to plug this, but I also have a Patreon account, uh, which you can find because it is the pinned tweet uh, on my Twitter account. So yeah, if you want to read more of my takes about wrestling, uh, I am currently running through 1997 WWF and uh, you know other random stuff that catches my eye. It's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I like talking about wrestling. So please join me on Twitter and talk to me about it more. <laughs> Rad. What's the link for your, for your Patreon? Uh, my Patreon account is uh, patreon.com slash Colette Arend. So okay. same as, same as my Twitter, just a different website. Okay, cool. Yeah. Definitely check all that out for you. Thank you again, Colette. Yeah. Thank you. My thanks once again to Colette for coming on the show and uh, running through all out with me. A uh, interesting show, um, to say the least. One that will definitely be talked about for um, right and wrong reasons for a while, I'm sure. But um, definitely go give her a follow over on Twitter at Colette Aaron and uh, give her Patreon some love. Uh, Patreon.com slash Colette Aaron as well. Um, and with that, we're going to say goodbye for today. But remember... Tomorrow, on our regular day, Thursday, we'll be back with a uh, look at MV Young's Polycult Party 2 with Emily Fear from the Grit and Glitter podcast. Uh, it's sure to be a treat. That show was a, a hoot to sound old-fashioned as all hell, uh, but it was, it was great, and I'm very interested to hear uh, Emily's thoughts from being on the ground floor there in Pittsburgh. Um, but before we go, we do have to say thank you to some people that helped make this show as awesome as it is. Uh, first off, Daniel Quasar. Uh, the Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. Of course, a big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666. That's off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at stswband and check their, out their music on Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, and of course, our newest sponsor, independentwrestling.tv. Uh, you can check them out for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, As not to mention uh, tonight... As you're listening to this on Wednesday, tonight at 10 p.m., Uncanny Attractions makes their live debut um, on the uh, on the channel there. 
uh, with their Wrestlers in Manhattan show, an all-cinematic show. Uh, that's at independentwrestling.tv. And if you don't have a subscription, you can use our promo code uh, LGBTRingPod for a free five-day trial. Um, and check out that show, check out what else they have there, and then sign up and enjoy all that independent wrestling has to offer over there. Uh, once again, use the promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT uh, for a five-day free trial over there. And of course, if you're into video games as well, I do co-host a uh, video game news show every Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. That is called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. Um, we run through the week's gaming news, give analysis, and have some fun along the way where we can, uh, and give critique where it's needed. Uh, it's always a fun show. We're actually adding some more stuff over on the, the Twitch there. On Tuesdays, we have uh, an alternating schedule of various uh, playdates where we all get together and play games. We also have uh, the History of the World, which is our look at the history of video games. Um, it's always fun over there. Twitch.tv slash Entertainment. Check out that stuff on Monday and Tuesday, every Monday and Tuesday, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over there. Um, yeah, and I think that's going to do it for us this week here. Oh, I forgot to throw... I always forget one thing. Our Twitters. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at WonderboyOTM. Follow the show on Twitter, at LGBTRingPod. And um, always keep in tune there for what we have coming next. 50 down. Crossing fingers, 50 more to go. We're going to keep it rolling as long as we can. But, for tonight, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. And love the anxious millennial cowboy inside all of us. Six, six, six.